This is the Raising Athletes podcast, episode 16, with Jamal Adams, the head varsity basketball coach at Loyola High School in Los Angeles, California. Hi. This is, I'm, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Once you know it's for real, you're like, uh, 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 uh. Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast. Hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us (laughs) about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Jamal Adams played basketball at Loyola High School in Los Angeles, California, before going on to play Ivy League hoops at Columbia University. After graduating, he worked 12 years on Wall Street before returning to his alma mater to be the varsity men's basketball coach, the director of equity and inclusion, and also a teacher. As a coach, Jamal has twice been named the CIF Division Coach of the Year, as well as being awarded the prestigious National Double Goal Coach of the Year Award given by the Positive Coaching Alliance in 2009. In 2014, he was selected by Nike Basketball to coach the prestigious Jordan Brand All-American Game in Brooklyn, New York. In his 12 years as the coach, the Cubs have have won seven league titles, have been ranked in the top 25 nationally four times, earned five state tournament berths, and one CIF Southern Section title. His players have gone on to play collegiately at schools such as Kansas, UC Berkeley, Georgetown, American, Yale, University of Pennsylvania, University of Oregon, Arizona, Cornell, and Harvard, to name a few. We spoke about getting prepared for tryouts for the high school season, his tips for for successfully making the transition from middle school to high school, and what he looks for in his players both on and off the court. Jamal cares deeply for his players, and it shows in how he passionately speaks about his love of the game and how he cares as much about who they become in the process and not only what they accomplish on the court. Today on Raising Athletes, we're excited to have the head coach of the Loyola High School basketball team, Jamal Adams, on. But before we jump in with our guest, let us introduce ourselves. Actually, today it's a different deal. Susie is in Hawaii, so I am going solo. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna wish her well. Mahalo, Susie. Um, I am Kirsten Jones. I'm a peak perform- performance and sports parenting coach. My passion is helping others align their values with their mission and their mindset to get what they want in life. As a former Division I volleyball athlete and a 14-year Nike executive, I've always loved understanding the power of what makes peak performance possible. As a mother of three and someone who is currently in the middle of supporting my oldest son's dream to play sports in college, 
Susie and I have created this podcast to help others who are trying to not only raise strong athletes, but more importantly, good people. Um, welcome, Jamal. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited about being here and looking forward to hopefully adding uh, some of my experience uh, in this space to, uh, to parents that are going through this journey for the first time or maybe the fifth time. I, right. I'm <laughs> yeah. And so today, you know, we're going to talk about, let's start off with talking about the transition. We're, it's August, end of August. We're getting ready for back to school. We're getting ready for basketball season to start. And I know I've got my second time having my um, second son coming into high school. And so I've got a lot of friends who are talking about the anxiety of trying out for the team and, and what is it going to look like and what team will my kid on, get on? Or, you know, we showed up at the summer basketball and there were 50 boys there. So what are my chances? Should my kid even try out? If you could talk about kind of help, help for the parents and also for this, for the athlete, like what, what should their approach be to coming into a new school, you know, transition, the transition from middle school to high school is a big leap, right? It's, it's, uh, you go from being the big, big dogs on campus to, you know, going to the bottom of the pack again. So if you could talk a bit about. Well, yeah, I mean, I I would start with the idea that I think, um, I think, and I, I say this a lot to our older guys as well, that there's a couple of few times in our lives where we get a chance to reinvent ourselves. And uh, I think that that transition middle school to high school and then that high school to college opportunity, and then maybe even argue that your post-college life. And I, I would say that reinvention is, is hopefully your, your maturation into adulthood. But, but this opportunity is a chance to kind of reinvent yourself. I think uh, if we're honest, kids oftentimes get typecast in their middle schools. A lot of kids that we serve at Loyola go to the same middle school, like K through eighth grade. And you know, kind of what your kid was as a kindergartner, first or second grader is kind of oftentimes the, the vision that that school might have for them all the way through, through the eighth grade. And so now you got a chance to reinvent yourself. And, and with that, I think um, um, my first piece of advice is that, you know, I think it's high school is one of those opportunities in life where you get to try a lot of things. And I think um, the first piece of advice I would give to parents and student athletes, I just spoke to a group of freshmen the other day about this would be to uh, try it all on and see what fits. Um, Again, in life, oftentimes circumstances, both in our control and out of our control, it's hard to venture out and try new adventures and, and, and for a variety of reasons. But in high school, I think there's a low barrier of entry. Um, and I don't think the cost is all that much uh, to give it a shot. So if it's trial for basketball or go out for the debate team or join the choir or study something that you didn't study in middle school that might be of interest to you, uh, play an instrument. I think these are great opportunities to really kind of like find out your other gifts that God has bestowed upon you. So uh, my first thing would be to, to, to tell the kid, you know, if you have a passion obviously for my sport basketball that, that you should try out. Obviously there's, 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 there's things. Um, the reality of it is, is that schools like ours, and I would say a lot of schools, particularly in Southern California, I'd imagine there's more kids trying out for uh, high school basketball than there are spots. Um, you know, I think low, you know, there's a low percentage where they're begging kids to play basketball at most high schools around Southern California. So with that being said, you know, that trial process is one that can be, uh, um, daunting. And so, uh, the, the first part I think in, in navigating that is, uh, is, is maybe having an idea or trying to find out kind of what is the coach's style and what type of kids are on the team. Like if, if, uh, you know, I, I like to think that kids come to Loyola, if they've done any homework, they'll know that uh, coach Adams wants to play fast. 
Uh, they want to get up and down. I like to think that uh, we reward skill. I like guys that can put in the basket and you can shoot it. And for me, you know, probably my number one thing is I like kids that can communicate, uh, that are out of their shell and particularly know how to communicate basketball-wise, not just disruptive-wise, but know how to talk and communicate the game basketball. I always say that it's a social sport. Um, it's it's built on your ability to interrelate with other people and to really um, you know, the best basketball teams have a, a, a proverbial sixth sense in that they know where their teammates are going to be without even having to see it or guess it. Like, I know that if I get beat that, you know, my teammate is going to be there to help me and then I'll rotate to help him. And and that level of trust is built, I think, through, you know, interaction. So, so um, uh, the first thing that I think stands out to me when I watch kids for tryouts is, is, is one, their ability to communicate and interrelate with other people. This, again, it's, a, it's, it's not tennis or golf, and I don't mean to disparage those sports, but I think um, inter, interaction with your teammates is a, is a vital part to success for basketball. Um, from there, I think, uh, um, I think there's, there's equal parts, um, you know, feel an IQ for the game, a mentality for the game, um, and then obviously physical skill and stature, right? I, I don't, uh, a young man walks into our gym as a ninth grader and he's six, five, six, 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 seven, six, eight, you know, um, he might not be able to play very well right now. I think that, uh, I'd be lying to anybody if I didn't say that we would invest heavily in keeping him and trying to coach him up because again, um, his physical stature, um, is one advantageous for our sport and two, uh, you know, is oftentimes fairly rare. So, uh, you're going to invest in that kid, but if you aren't that kid, if you're, um, you know, your stature doesn't make you stand out or even your physical, um, um, physical athletic ability doesn't help you stand out. I think um, skill uh, is a word that people, oh, I had to go to my trainer and skill and, and yes, yeah, dribble, shoot. But I also think IQ or thinking the game and understanding the game is a skill. And I think it's a skill that is in um, dire, uh, uh, is in dire, um, uh, I don't know, it's like straights right now. I just, I think so many young people aren't, uh, they know how to, the skill of catching, shooting, all those type of things. But again, like the inner workings of how to get open or or how to support a teammate who is getting beat off the dribble and or, uh, you know, even the basic understanding of kind of conceptually of what five on five basketball should look like at its most beautiful form. Uh, is it's been greatly diminished. Uh, we could talk a little bit about why those things are. I think in some respects, it, it is a little bit that we're overplaying, um, I think, structured games. Um, and um, and that and those games with people watching the stands don't allow for experimentation. Right. I, I think uh, I, I'm a big fan of kids playing just with kids. Uh, you know, your, your son spent some time with me in the summer basketball class and We'll, we'll have a, like 20, 30, 40 minutes of structure. And then I let them play. And I really want them to like advocate for themselves and call their own fouls and figure out who on their team should be getting the ball weird. Like that is, um, I think, an underdeveloped part of both children and, um, um, and the game. So uh, I'm always like, I'm a big fan of kids, I think, that have great IQ. Um, and 
uh, I laugh with some of my brethren. I've, I've had lunch with uh, a couple of coaches, coach friends of mine, uh, Russell White at Crespi, uh, Matt Dunn at, um, at St. John Bosco, and Moose Bailey at Brentwood. Like I met with all three of those guys in the last 10 days and had lunch and talked about coaching. And we, I think like in some point at all three of those conversations kind of got to like, well, you know, the best thing at times is just that kid that can make the uncoachable play. Like I don't have to call a play for him. I don't have to run a play for him. Like he just has a feel for the game that um, he knows that if his teammate does X, he can do Y and be successful. And that's going to put him in a place. uh, And those kind of kids make the rest of us coaches look like geniuses. Um, And I've been blessed to have a bunch of those type of guys. And, and, uh, uh, and when people are patting me on the back and telling me how great a job coaching-wise I'm doing, I, and the reality of those that, that know the game know that, you know, some of those are just broken plays and, and yeah. guys making the right read, right? So, um, uh, again, as I think about young kids, uh, middle schoolers, um, and it kind of is late in the game, like if I had said this in May, hey, you got into Loyola, what do you need to do for the summer is play older guys. Mm-hmm. I like, I, I, and, and I really believe go play pickup somewhere where, there aren't any refs. There aren't mom and dad. Like, you've got to learn how, you know, if you're playing a grown man and, you know, you keep pulling up in his front of his face and he keeps blocking your shot, well, you're going to learn how to pump fake and jab and create space, right, or cut and make and tire him out. Like, okay, this guy's more athletic than me and stronger than me, but I'm just going to keep running the floor until he tires out and then I'll be effective. But those are things that I think come with the trial and error of playing uh, candidly kind of in an unstructured situation, right, not, not the typical AAU. How do you think AAU helps or hurts that then? Because that's kind of what our kids do, right? Right. I I mean, I I believe that that there is a time and place for AAU basketball um, and that the reality of it is from a marketing standpoint, there's no better opportunity for a kid in terms of marketing himself for the next level. It's, it's, you know, one-stop shop for the college coaches. It makes sense fiscally for them to be there to see hundreds of kids and to evaluate, right? Um, and I think there's always, I mean, I'm a big believer, like, uh, you know, in my other role as, as director of equity and inclusion here at Loyola, like the idea of getting to meet kids from other backgrounds. That, I think AAU does, that's a really great opportunity. It's your kid, it, oftentimes at our schools, kids are can be fairly homogeneous, but when you play on an AAU team, you could be playing with a kid that goes to a public school or, or is homeschooled or, you know, all these different types of, like, interactions that make us better human beings. Um, uh, and so I do think there's something to be said there. But I, I also, if I could be, you know, I will be um, candid. I, I, I say this to oftentimes my kids as they return as seniors is that that's probably the last time you'll ever play basketball like that. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the kind of the lack of scouting, the lack of people trying to take away your strengths, the lack of, you know, you beat your guy with the bounce. There oftentimes isn't help side defense in, in AAU basketball. There aren't guys technically taking charges. Um, and there aren't, like, again, there aren't, like, the coach, the adult over there isn't oftentimes, like, game plan. You get hot. Um, I can imagine, like, CJ, he makes a couple threes, and they're yelling at shooter, shooter, shooter. But I don't know if they're now, hey, we're going to go over this screen, or we're going to lock and trail and guard them this way and make things more difficult for him. And so, um, you know, it's funny because I was talking to Max Hazard, who's at UC Irvine, and he called me to say that exactly. Like, even pickup in college is like, when you play with the older guys at your school, they're calling screens and they're hedging ball screens and they're, you know, they're getting through screens or boxing out or, you know, they're playing two-man games or three-man games. Like, you, it's, it's, it's a higher level basketball from a mental standpoint. And so, um, you know, that I think you have to understand it is what it is. And, and, and the other part too, Kristen, like, 
you know, what I love about what you guys are doing with your podcast and the ones that I've listened to is that I'd also come back to beyond always like this, this end game, I would say AAU basketball should be about having fun. Right. You know, in, in some respects, it's traveling to see other places, it's playing kids that you never play before again because they live in Alaska or Utah or South Carolina. And it's, um, it's just about having some fun too. I think, I think even me, like what I was espousing about how, you know, it's not this higher level of basketball. Um, in some respects, I think it has to, our expectation have to be right size and the right size should be that it's an opportunity to market myself, to have fun, to continue to work on habits of playing hard all the time um, and to get to meet people maybe that I wouldn't meet otherwise. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And to transition from, the freshmen, sophomores, you know, who are probably coming in and realistically, at least in Los Angeles, playing freshman or JV. <laughs> you know, in other parts of the country, that is realistic that a freshman would play varsity, but um, setting expectations around. One of the things that I admire, and I've heard this story at least three times about your program at Loyola, is of guys that have gotten cut from a varsity team, and they've actually come back and tried out again, which is another big theme that we love to talk right. about, is we live in this day and age where if it, I don't get it the way I want it right away, oh, well, wasn't meant to be, I guess I need to move on. And I, I think you must really, you know, t- tell these boys about, hey, if this is your passion, come back, you know, just because I, I can't use you on the roster this year, maybe you can, you can, there's a possibility for you next year. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. Well, one, thank you very much. It was very kind of you to mention those things. And I, and I am proud that we, we won. I, I try to really um, uh, pride myself on being open-minded and yep. that kids grow, right. And they change. And that I, I really don't, I, I really fight the idea of typecasting the kid. Right. And I think, uh, I think that's detrimental to, as an educator. Right. Uh, in fact, I, I would hope, that there hasn't ever been a kid at Loyola that I've been in contact with that's the same kid at 13 that he is at 18. I hope that I hope that in my small part that I've helped him evolve into a better person. And so uh, to tight cast one kid as X, even as a basketball player, I think is poor. I would say the two words that I really try, the other words I really try to come back to when I think about young men, and this is advice, um, as well as you know, in our program, is the word courage and vulnerability. Um, um, and I'm actually going to talk about them in opposite order. I think one, um, vulnerability. I think, uh, again, with the beauty of this podcast and some of the time that you and I have had a chance to talk off air about things is that, you know, uh, I think growth is being vulnerable to, to, to hitting your head against the wall. Um, we, can, um, we can only choose things that we're good at and therefore, you know, really like try and only have positive outcomes. Um, but you know, and some of my darkest or most negative of outcomes have been things that I can hold on to and grow from. And I think that's a positive for young people. So, so getting cut, um, though devastating, I don't try to mitigate, you know, there has been, um, some of my most awful moments in my career at Loyola has been in those moments when I told a young man, he's not going to make it. He's broken out in tears. I'm a super empathetic and sympathetic person. I, I have been moved to tears in those moments. Um, I have second guessed myself in those moments. Like, oh, I should just keep the kid. And, and uh, um, those are painful. I think it's the worst part of my job. Cuts are the worst part of my job. I, I would say that to anybody that asks me, but, but that vulnerability, that ability to, to me to tell them I could be wrong. I've got a small sample set. We've got to make this choice. I think 
you know, player A is better than you right now and can help us do X, Y, and Z. But if you are willing to go and put in the work on your own and, you know, with the help of other professionals and come back and you're better next year, then we're going to keep you. Um, and, uh, and, and I am proud that we've done that a number of different times. And, and we've had some kids that have, uh, have gotten, um, um, come back and done those things. And, and to do that takes courage. Yes. Right. The, the idea that you're going to maybe possibly get cut again uh, is a courageous act. And it goes to exactly what you said. Like we we feel like that when we do hit a roadblock, I think oftentimes I think the poor coaching point is that um, we allow our young people to turn around and go a different direction versus ask them to scale that wall. Right. Mm-hmm. And that takes courage to climb a height that you're not quite sure what's on the other side and or that it's just higher than you can get to and you're never going to get over that. So, so there's a level of, of courage in that. And I think, I think courage is, is again, uh, a word that we don't use enough in education or even in sports, um, you know, or, 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 you know, or, you know, it's, it's, I think it's interesting, like even in like, Oh, like, Oh, um, the Mamba mentality with, with Kobe Bryant. Right. And he's kind of like marketed this idea that, at some level, you know, Kobe exhibited a, a great amount of courage to take plays that to, to try and make plays that he knew that if they didn't work out, he would be subject to ridicule, right? And and we admire that in him. And I wonder if we admire it because he does that, or that we see so few professionals, even let alone look, yeah, people below that level that are willing to do those things. Like it takes courage to to step out and do and and do things um, maybe that are a little bit different than what everyone else would expect you to do the road, you know, taking the road, less travel. Well, and speaking of courage. So once you have, let's go. So you've set your squad. Now you have 15 guys, right? 15 yep. mm-hmm. guys. So now also for everybody, how do you go about, not everybody can be on the floor all the time, right? right. Not everybody's going right. to be a starter. That's also really hard to deal with, right? Because right. everybody thinks their kid is the best kid on the right, team, right? right. So we all yeah. have to get plenty of playing time. But how do you, what expectations do you, what advice do you have for players and parents around figuring out what your role is on the team? Uh, that's a great question. And and probably, uh, if I'm being 100% candid, right, like that's still an area I continue to try and grow as a coach. Yeah. is is proper evaluation of a young man in his steady state like right now and what can he grow to be in some time frame in which we actually start to compete you know live with the scoreboard on and with the referees and people in the stands so um uh, i think you know um my advice to the athlete is uh there are the things that you can control right uh, do you play hard every time um, your ability to communicate is literally, uh, some kids don't know what to say and that's on us as coaches to teach them the proper diction and, and word choices in these situations. But once you understand that, and I don't think that's very hard, are you willing to do those things? Um, are you in great shape? You know, are you in great shape to compete at a high level such that the fatigue isn't a factor that I have to, uh, um, uh, to um to evaluate and then and then again uh for me i always tell our guys like to be honest with you we're trying to find the five best pieces at any time that play well together like you might be the best ball handler on the team but if you dribble the air out of it and your other teammates don't touch it at that time you're not helping us collectively be 
successful. And I, you know, it's, 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 um, I mean, I love my kids. Like my, I, I really do. I call them my boys and, you know, either from, a, you know, as I get older, it feels more like my children. You know, I told you two years ago, I looked at them as like my little brothers. But uh, um, I want to see one through 15 be successful. But, uh, you know, um, you know, figuring out combinations is, is, is important. And then uh, I don't think kids, I, I think there's a fallacy that says you should be satisfied with your role. Like if your role isn't what you want, like, oh, you should just be satisfied and happy and and, and what have you, you should always be seeking the wisdom and advice of your coaches, asking them how you could get better, putting in those work, hoping that, you know, you improve and then ask for real time um, data. Like coach, do you think I've gotten better at ball handling? And I might say, no, I don't think so. Or I don't think you're better than players A, B, and C. Um, how do you feel about parents coming up and asking for feedback versus the child asking for feedback? I, I, I think, I think that, um, that's a great question, Christian. I think that there should be a hierarchy to a uh, timing. Um, and I, I, I firmly believe and I, that, that it starts between the player and the coach's relationship. Um, I, I, I'm also a parent who's had two high school kids who went through the high school experience. Um, and my advice, they would complain. And I would always say, go talk to your coach. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the proper part as a parent would be then, hey, you know, Johnny, how did that conversation go? And hopefully your kid can relate the coach's uh, ideology. At any point there, if, if, if I would suggest that um, that if something sounds amiss, um, I think you note it. I still think you give the kid and the coach a little bit of time. Um, outside of the coach, like belittling the kid as a, his character or calling him out of his name, I don't think that that, takes, that needs to have immediate action. Um, if, if a coach is putting a kid in harm's way, immediate action. If he's belittling his character or calling him out as that immediate action, then, then give us some space. But then again, I, I don't have a problem talking to parents. I believe, honestly, from my standpoint, I believe I'm part of the village. You know, I'm not, I'm not like spreading apart. Like I would hope that my values and my ideas about what your boys are going to be are in line with what you and your husband want for your children. And if there is a disconnect, then we should discuss that, right? Um, and uh, um, I want happy, healthy student athletes. Mm-hmm. I want boys that go back to their houses and are great contributing factors of their family. And I don't want to be part of, well, uh, Coach Adams, you know, my boys came home and they're depressed dealing with you. I can't get them to clean their room. That is that's a poor partnership. Like, I guess that's the word I would say. There should be a level of partnership, but, you know, partnership comes with trust and partnership comes with, again, I think parents and, and coaches knowing their roles. I don't think it's my job to tell you, you know, that your kids should do these type of activities or those type of vacations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that, you know, parents have all the information to tell me who should play and who shouldn't. Uh, again, um, I say this with all due respect. If you come every little high school basketball game, as most of our parents do, watch every second of those games, you still are only checking in about 20% of our interactions for the year. Um, and I, I like to believe that we, as professionals, are evaluating all 100%. And you may be evaluating that 20 And so that's, that's just the truth and reality of the situation. Yeah, and I think for some parents, they say with boys particularly, they're not getting a lot of 
information back from their sons directly, which becomes a challenge. Girls tend to want to talk to their moms, but the boys kind of tend to keep play it close to the vest. So they they kind of don't feel like they know what's going on, but encouraging them to advocate for themselves, build that relationship, build that bridge, figure it out. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Like, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell your mom and dad, like, Hey, I got my tail kicked in practice today. No, no one, you know, I would argue it goes back to even our social media standpoint. I always say like, right, our Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitter feeds typically are our, our highlights. It's like, it's yeah. like watching coach Adams sports center. That's what those are. And we aren't oftentimes, we don't want to share our low lights and there's got to be a level of trust between parent and child, coach and child, coach and parent. If, if that triumphant is in a position where they can really share low lights then I think that that kid has a chance to be a phenomenal, like the growth in that situation uh, could be, you know, exponential. Um, and so that um, that's that. And I, again, I think too, sometimes we as coaches, and I, I know I do this myself. I, I uh, you know, there's, there's those, those conversations are tough and, and I probably at times want to avoid them. Um, it's something I really try to work on personally, like to seek out, I, you know, I think that, parents disgruntled and versus turning and going another way, I might want to go and ask and see, because oftentimes it's a level of miscommunication versus like really like a total disagreement. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's a level of mis- um, miscommunication. And so um, I, what I would say too, for me as coaches is that uh, I think we've got to be okay with um, sometimes where things get a little messy because getting through that on the other side oftentimes can be very advantageous for ultimately the number one person. And then in this case to me, and this is also one of our areas of issue is that the number one person should be the young student athlete. Like my feelings is, is mom or dad's feelings should be definitely secondary to the young student athlete and helping him be grow from boy to man. Yeah. Or or young lady, excuse me, girl to woman. Like we should be ushering them to adulthood um, uh, by allowing them to make some mistakes, but also know that they have support, equal support from both coaches and parents. Absolutely. Awesome. Oh, well, this has gone by a lot faster than I thought. <laughs> we could go on for hours. So I'll, I'll cut to the chase a little bit and then maybe we could have you back on maybe okay. later, later in the year to talk about some of these other things. But when you think about, and it doesn't, you don't have to name names, but when you think about the best athlete or athletes you played with or against or you've coached, what, how would you answer this or finish this sentence? The best athletes I know do this. Um, I think uh, the first word I would think is, is selfless. They have an ability uh, to think outside of themselves for the betterment of the greater group, um, particularly obviously in team sports, and that's where my my mm-hmm. career has been in that space. The best, the best teammates, the best athletes, I think, have had a keen sense of of the biorhythms of the whole group and are willing to do what's and sacrifice what's best for the best for the greater good. And sometimes that means being selfish. Like if you're the best guy and we need you to go make a bucket, you got to go do that because you know that you've got the best opportunity to do that. Um, And then the other part I would finish or kind of like the addendum to that is, uh, is they're, they're willing to work when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a, Again, in the in the world we live in, we we want to film and show, oh, we're working, or this might work out, or 
I'm in the gym with this guru. And if it didn't happen, if there weren't pictures or videos, it didn't happen. Um, I would just say this to all the young athletes that are listening to me right now. I would ask them to go and scour the internet and find a Steph Curry workout that he does. It's not like at the Warriors practice, a Steph Curry workout that you can watch. That's not marketed that like, Oh, Steph was in the gym today. He, you don't see Steph. He's not, he's not promoting. I, I made 700 jump shots today or all I like. And I, I just think that, you know, Steph is kind of an every man superstar. He's not, doesn't blow you away with his physical stature. He's tremendously bright. He's got great IQ and his skill levels off the chain. He is toiling away under the cover of night. And, um, I think, and, and he's humbled and he's humble. He's, uh, I think a great teammate. And I mean, he's, he has reaped uh, what he sowed in such a way that, um, you know, he's going to be an athlete that I think will go down as one that we remember for, for eternity. But uh, I, I talk about that all the time. I don't, I've never seen Steph work, Steph Curry do a, his dribbling workout. I'm talking about in the off season, you know, before the game, that's entertainment. The NBA markets that, but. I love that you yeah. chose him because I think he got one college offer, right? Davidson. That yeah. Was right. right. And then yeah. I, I showed the, um, I think it's gone around thousands, millions of times, but his, the scouting report on him when he got drafted, right. Which was, you know, a little undersized. We're not sure if he can play defense. Right. Okay. Shooter. Like it was very meh. Like yeah, right. we think he can make it. We're not sure how long he'll last. You know, we're kind of middle of the road. Right. And right as we had Channing on a couple of weeks ago, and he says, when they give you coal, make fire. And so you got to want it. It's got to be right. the thing that you're going to do. And no matter what the scouting report says, or no matter what social media says to your point, it's not about that. It's got to be about your inner drive to make it happen for yourself. Don't let the noise stop you. Don't yeah. let the noise stop you from doing what you're supposed to get done. Right. And uh, uh, both positive and negative, like filter that out and keep toiling away. That would be, you know, I think that's the best guys, um, you know, that I've had a, the beauty of coaching and I've seen that be successful from Loyola and beyond. Um, those guys worked oftentimes where no one was watching when there was nothing to be, no no benefit from a praise standpoint to, to be had from the work. That's awesome. So Jamal, I know there's a lot of athletes and students out there who may want to follow along with what's going on. Where can they find you on social media? Um, um, on Instagram, I'm, uh, under at J Adams, CU 44, CU for Columbia university, my alma mater, 44, wow. my, my <laughs> college number. Uh, so on Instagram, I'm at J Adams, CU 44 on Twitter. I'm uh, coach J Adams, LHS. Um, and, um, I'm also, uh, exist on Facebook as well. Um, and then, uh, they can reach out if anyone had questions, I'd, I'd be glad to th- questions on my email here at Loyola is jadams at Loyola H-S or L-O-Y-O-L-A H-S dot E-D-U um, I'm always uh, looking to get better as a coach and so for anyone out there that might be interested to come down and spend some time or watch us practice um, I think those things are valuable for me um, as well as anyone that might want to come be part of um, anything that we're doing. Well, I think that's awesome and I I, one thing I encourage all of my clients and my children to reach out, right? You just don't yeah. know unless you show up. 
And so right. when you show up and you say, hey, I think I might be interested in your program, you have no idea where that might go, right? right. So exactly. I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jamal. This was so good. Um, and parents, if you enjoyed this and you know other sports parents who are trying to get better at supporting their team, please feel free to go on iTunes and rate and share this podcast, please. Our goal is in supporting parents and not, raising, not only raising strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.